Hey, welcome to the show. Real quick, if you are not already watching or listening on YouTube, if you could bring up YouTube on your phone or computer and make sure to subscribe to my channel. You can also tap the bell and that way you'll get notified when I release new videos. Uh, now, if you're a fan of my show, you know that I love the bands of the Sunset Strip. And my guest today, Jizzy Pearl, was definitely part of that scene. He started with a band called Love Hate, and they had a lot of success. They toured with ACDC, Ozzy, Dio, and Skid Row. And he has some good stories about a couple fights with some well-known rock stars from those tours that you're going to hear about today in my interview with him that's an exclusive, as far as I know. I've never heard these stories before. Um, plus, he is re-releasing his books. Uh, one is currently sold out, but the other two are available. So we're going to talk about that. Plus, we'll talk about his days in Rat and L.A. Guns and what he's doing now with Quiet Riot and his solo career and so much more. So check it out. Please welcome Jizzy Pearl, singer, author, extraordinaire. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Good. What's up? What's up? Yeah, let's. Well, gosh, there's so much to talk about. So many bands that you've been in. Love, Hate, Rat, Quiet Riot, L.A. Guns. Uh, your solo career, and then you have these books. That's the main thing that you're promoting right now is the books, correct? These books. Yeah. Unhappy. And, and then is there a third one? My all my, what is it? Uh, <clears throat> there is a third one, but it's sold out. So. Oh, it's totally sold out then. So what yeah. do you, you can't make more? Or how does that work? I can make more. It's just, you know, go to the money tree. <laughs> Are you, you producing these yourself? Like in a, printing them? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, is that, is it, you make more of a profit that way though, right? Well, you know, I, w originally when I wrote these books, I tried to get a publishing deal, but the, the, the content was so incendiary that uh, nobody wanted to touch it. And that, and this was before rock books really sort of took off like they are now, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just, you know, I call a printer and send them the specs and make it myself. Yeah. So tell me this story that uh, I heard that you had a deal with the independent uh, movie channel for one of your books to be made into a movie for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So then they gave you an early script of the dirt to kind of read, to kind of have like a rough idea of what it would be like. Well, they wanted me to write the screenplay and to help me become a screenplay writer, which I wasn't. They gave me a bunch of scripts. They gave me Almost Famous. They oh. gave me The Dirt. They gave me, you know, a couple of of, of good scripts. And uh, so I sort of had to learn, you know, try to 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 figure out how to 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 do that. Yeah, because I had the screenwriter from The Dirt on, um, and he said that uh, the in his version it was a lot more gritty. And, you know, at the, in the new movie now, they kind of redeem themselves at the end. He said in his version, it was like, there was no redemption. It was more like the book where there were assholes at the beginning and there were assholes at the end. Yeah. The, the script that I had was, um, a lot different than what came out on Netflix. I think Netflix kind of gave it a, a gloss of lacquer, right? kind of, you know, give it a nice sheen but the original script was a little bit more harsh. It dealt a little bit more with the heroin situation with Nikki and, right. and, you know, so. Yeah. So then you, did you, and you wrote, did you end up writing your, your screenplay and then they just changed their mind or something or what happened? Um, pretty much. Well, I had the deal and then I 
like a million other screenwriters. It just didn't happen. It, it, it didn't happen in the uh, logistics of, of the movie business. You know what I mean? So yeah, at the time I was kind of bummed, but I realized that, that uh, you know what, 99% of movies don't really get made anyway. So, you know, but do they, they pay you for the screenplay and then they, they light, what is it like option? Is that the word? Like where they buy it and then they just. Something like that. Okay. They, they option it. And then, and then, uh, we go from there. So, uh, but I mean, that was a long time ago. Would you be trying to get any of these books made into movies now or. <clears throat> I hadn't even thought of it. I mean, I'm, I'm literally touring every weekend with quiet riot. So most of my energy is being devoted to uh, jumping around on stage. <laughs> yeah, and then, but there also maybe a fourth book coming out too, right? There is a fourth book for sure. Oh, it's about I'm about 230 pages in, so uh, I need to write a couple of more horrible dark stories to sort of to to finish it. But it's uh, it's pretty much done. Yeah, that's uh. <laughs> so what is this one? The fourth one called? Do you have a title for it yet? I don't. Okay. I don't. It's, it's, it's in the same vein. I mean, you read the one book. It's sort of in the same vein as all the rest of them. It's sort of 50% Hollywood sunset strip subject matter. And then the other half is sort of straight out black mirror fiction. Yeah. What was the one that I was, I was reading uh, some of it and it said uh, the worst ways the, 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 unhappy endings is the book I read, but then also I think that chapter was called unhappy endings where yeah. you talk about the worst way to die. And you talk about this guy being backed up into a wall and then they build bricks around him and he's literally buried alive in a wall and just left to die. That would be a long dark way to go. Right? Three weeks or something just till you starve to death two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, uh, this protagonist was pretty pissed. <laughs> and and pretty crazy so yeah he uh he gave all his friends a big shellacking <clears throat> do you think that is the worst way to die is that like is that that's got well, i can't think of much worse or what do you think's worse no, i i just i draw from my my past i mean one of the guy one of the guys was scared of sharks because we had seen jaws so many times that he refused to go on the water anymore. And we were all, uh, California body surfers. I mean, you know, pretty much every weekend and he just stopped flat out cause he was scared to death of going in the water because of the movie. I mean, I think a lot of people were, um, and then, you know, the, the buried alive thing comes from the Edgar Allan Poe story and, uh, and so on and so on. Yeah. So is the, is the best way to die maybe just in your sleep at 80 years old? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think there is a best way to die, but I'm thinking, yeah, natural causes would be the uh, <laughs> least painful. Cause like if you're in your sleep, you wouldn't even notice. Right. Yeah. You, you just float away. Like, like in ghost, you just float away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well let's, uh, can we talk about love hate a little bit or. Sure. Yeah. That's always a fun bit. That's how I first uh, heard of you. It was, uh, I think it was on one of those compilations. I, th I feel like it was a song rock queen. I think that's, and that's one of my favorite love hate songs, but that's not the blackout in the red room is technically kind of a bigger hit, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Is that what? What is your favorite song off that first record, uh, "Blackout in the Red Room"? Because that's kind of the uh, biggest album for that band, right? That was for sure the biggest. Yeah, uh, I would say "Blackout in the Red Room" or that song "Tumbleweed" would be my favorites. I think that's cool. I noticed that um, I haven't seen "Quiet Riot" with you guys in it, but I, I saw the set list that you include "Blackout in the Red Room" with "Quiet Riot." Yeah. Oh, and we're doing "Blackout." Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, now, it's, it's killer. Yeah, it's great. It's great that, I mean, obviously, Quiet Riot's been around for 40 years and their songs are iconic, you know, the the, the hit songs. And uh, it's nice for me to be able to, you know, while I'm singing other people's songs, it's nice for me to sing one of my own. Yeah. And I'm sure the crowd reacts to that and they recognize that tell, too. You can tell people that know it. You can tell. Yeah. Cause you guys have a, a pretty big following. I mean, you were on MTV and stuff, but even more recently, steel Panther has used your song. And, uh, I heard you say that warrant and firehouse and a lot of these other guys are, were big love hate fans. Yeah. That I found that out later on when I was, uh, touring with them in LA guns, <clears throat> I found out that, uh, these guys were, were big love hate fans. And, and I, m- my record was one of the records that was being played on the, on their bus a lot, which is, you know, which is great. I mean, firehouse guys and warrant guys and a lot of bands because my band was unusual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't your typical two dimensional rock band. It had, uh, it had some, some, some substance and some twists and turns to it. And, uh, and, and now 30 years later, you know, I think the record still stands up for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back when that first record was released and then you guys toured with Dio and ACDC, I mean, what was it like at that point? You must've felt like you've made it like, right. You're on top of the world. You've got videos on MTV touring with ACDC. It couldn't get any better than that. Right. Yeah, little did I know. <laughs> um, well, that's when you get a record deal and you're young, which I was, and I had no business sense. I had no sense of anything. Here's your record deal. You just immediately uh, think about all the cliche things that you're going to be rich, you're going to live in a mansion. And you're destined, and this is just the way it's going to be. This is going to be your life. Arenas, gold records, MTV, chicks. You know what I mean? You just figure that this is the way it's going to be forever. And um, then, you know, reality hits you in that the record companies extract their pound of flesh daily. You know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. every, every... salami on that food tray had a little barcode on it and we all and every and we had to pay it all back you know what i mean right i've heard stories like this where the record company takes you out to this really fancy dinner and you're like oh that's so nice of them but then they charge you for the bill it's like it's on this of course yeah but i mean tour support the thing about it is that back then um bands were given tour support which was absurd money you know what I mean? It costs a lot of money. Buses are expensive, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And hotels and flights, and especially if you're going to Europe, 
you know, the buses there are even more expensive. So it, <clears throat> it adds up. We toured with Ozzy and Skid Row in Europe for months. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, at the end of that, at the end of that uh, tenure, there was a big old price tag. Yeah. So tell me what happened with that tour with Skid Row. Is it, is it true you got into a fight with Sebastian Bach? Is that a true story? I got into a scuffle. Scuffle? <laughs> Who won? My problem, my problem was I was drinking a lot. My band was sort of known. The songs were about drinking and, and we were, we were, you know, partiers. I mean, we were having a good time. And I was out there with those guys. And uh, I just, I said the wrong thing to Sebastian. I just said something stupid. And uh, it kind of got into a little bit of a tiff. And, uh, and then the next morning, <clears throat> I woke up and I came downstairs in the hotel lobby. And one of my band guys said, congratulations, we're kicked off the tour now because of you. And, uh, and, and I just, I didn't want to believe it. So we had a long van ride. Uh, it was in England. So, you know what I mean? We had a long van ride to the next show and I was sitting up front and I could feel the eyes of hatred from the other three guys burning mm. into the back of my head. And, uh, you know, cause that's unacceptable. You just, you're a tour ruiner and that makes you a dick, you know, and uh, you cross the line. So when I got to the next gig, they were all in a dressing room and I was pacing. There was this long hallway backstage. I think it was in Edinburgh, Scotland. There was a long hallway backstage and, and the dressing rooms were situated, I guess, Skid Row and Ellie Guns and then us or whatever. And I was pacing this hallway and I was just thinking to myself, whatever I got to do, which might include knee pads <laughs> to, save, to save the tour and not go home in disgrace. You know what I mean? Okay. And I was, I was sitting there and then the door opened and Sebastian, you know, who's a tall dude, he peeks his head through the door and I look at him. And he looks at me and there was like a two second thing. And then he just goes, oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. I'm sorry, dude. And I go, I'm sorry. You know, and we're hugging. And I look over his shoulder and all three of my band guys are peeking out through the door going like this. <laughs> like the like Manny Mo and, you know, like yeah. Larry and Curly. So oh, you wow. made up. Yeah, well, yeah. The thing is, sometimes when you're on the road and you're on the road for a long time, you know, you it's a it's a it's a different reality than real life. It's just you're traveling a lot. You're <clears throat> never really rooted anywhere because you're always into the next town and you pe people want a piece of you. You always have to do a lot of interviews and photo shoots and you and it where. For me, I would like to just lay down and recover from last night's binge drinking. I have to sit there and tell everybody about my brand new record and how pleased I am to be out with, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fucking tired. And uh, so things can get irritable. 
And I'm just talk, not talking myself. I'm just talking that's the nature of being on the road. So sometimes people get catty and, um, and that's what uh, happened to me. But then, you know, the next day or even an hour or two later, you know, I mean, I got into a fight with Zach Wild on the Aussie tour and um, which was a mistake. And uh, what was that about? It was uh, booze again. Was that what he was drinking? Because he doesn't drink anymore, but he was maybe back then. He was drinking, but I was drinking. Oh, okay. And I, 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 once again, did, did something stupid. And uh, so we started throwing punches at each other. And, Damn. you know, he's a big dude. So obviously I, I didn't win that scuffle. And then, uh, yeah, the next day, actually within a half hour, we were, the two of us were dancing on the dance floor, arms around each other. And I was wearing his cowboy hat. <laughs> and were you physically like okay his, at that like point? His, I was like his bitch. Okay. Huh. And I woke up the next morning and it was on the news. It was on the real news. My girlfriend in LA called me. It was on the news in Los Angeles. She's going, what the fuck? I'm hearing that you're, you're, you're fighting people in Ozzy's band and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, this was 1992 and it was before the internet and you could, you could get away with a lot more. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could, you could, um, and, and like I said, when there's no internet, a lot of times there's no consequences for what you can get into as far as shenanigans. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a great time. We had a lot of fun, you know, and got to play with Ozzy Osbourne every night. And, you know, it was cool times. Wow. Yeah. Those are some great memories. Like, even if that was the end, I feel like, man, that's, that's like some amazing memories that, I mean, for the, and for the rest of your band, a lot of it, that was the end, right? I mean, they, they're not in the music business anymore, right? The other love hate guys. No, they're, they're all, um, moved on. Um, we sort of stopped playing in 1997. Uh, we tried to, to carry on, but what happened was, and this happens to a lot of bands for sure, is that at a certain point, the band stops being your priority and, um, which it was for a long time with us. I mean, it was, it was nauseating. All we did was talk about the band, think about the band, come up with schemes to make the band better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Writing new songs, writing. It's, it was an all consuming thing and it was all you did and all you thought about. And then people get married and they start having kids and they start to, uh, you know, pull away and um it's like kids that were best friends in high school and then all of a sudden after graduation you know what i mean it's just it's just not the same so in 1997 everyone sort of left and i was the only uh i was the um like in the movie uh i am legend <laughs> that was, oh yeah that will was, smith yeah that was me okay that was me <laughs> yeah. And you talk about, um, you talk too about like jealousy though, in, in your unhappy endings book and, uh, how you used to be in this cover band with your friend. And then obviously you went on and, you know, you're, you're doing tours with ACDC and Ozzy and stuff. And, 
and he didn't. Why do you think that? But you said at the time when you guys were on the cover band, you thought this guy is going to take off. He's really smart. He can fix cars. He's musically talented. He gets all the girls. And for whatever reason, you took off and he didn't. Why do you think that was? Um, well, one thing is that I was in a band with a bunch of guys who, whose sole mission in life was love-hate. Mm-hmm. And when you have that sort of drive and perseverance, you know, it's not to say that you're, you're going to be successful or have a record deal, but basically there's no safety rope. No one really had jobs. It was do or die. And when you have that degree of commitment, um, it's, it's very powerful. And, um, I did a, a podcast yesterday with a friend of mine who was in a local band in LA at the same time that we were there. And he echoed that, that we were, we were like a a platoon of, of hardened, you know, special forces guys. And when we went out, it was, those are those guys, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, that's a lot of people can't make that commitment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They really can't, especially now Yeah. because Facebook and the social media is so, it doesn't allow you to, um, to, to, uh, uh, it doesn't allow you to not look at reality. You know what I mean? When you're, when we were on the Sunset Strip and we were playing and we were doing bands and stuff, you know what I mean? You can, you can basically comfort yourself with the idea that you're going to make it. I'm destined to make it. Nothing's going to stop me. But I guess nowadays, all you have to do is go on Facebook and everyone says, oh, you suck. You'll never make it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Your songs stink. And that might influence you to maybe not be a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Well, maybe they're right. You know what I mean? Maybe I do suck or maybe I'm too old to make it. Nowadays they're signing bands in their teens. You know what I mean? They're signing bands in their teens because Mm. they want to rip them off basically. Mm. That's sad. Well, it's the record business is a business and they're very sneaky and you know prince had a problem with his label a lot of people have problems with their label you know what i mean if you're not successful you're a dick if you're extremely successful they'll let you do whatever you want you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so so yeah so tell me about that because your second album wasted in america would love hate wasn't the the record company originally? Did, is it true they rejected every song that you guys turned in for the record, and they they wanted you to have you wanted a more of a crossover sound, and they thought you guys were losing your edge. I think, well, how that happened was, um, we wrote a bunch of songs, <clears throat> and I think that when we went into the demo stage, we just assumed that they were just going to be okay. You know, because we're geniuses and (laughs) at the time, well, you got to understand at the time we blackout in the red room was best record of the year. 
in the UK and Metal Hammer and Kerrang. We got a lot of accolades for that record. You know, it, I mean, it didn't sell millions of records, but I mean, best record of the year. You know what I mean? So we're thinking we're going to make, you know, Waste in America is going to be better and bigger and blah, blah, blah. And what happened was we just we, we, we didn't take enough time. And then they just said, well, look, why don't you go back and fix these songs or. And we did, <clears throat> you know, and we did, you know, we weren't idiots about it. You know what I mean? We just kind of went back to the drawing board and fixed it. So do you think they were right in, in, in hindsight then? Uh, they Right and wrong. They picked the wrong single for our first single. They picked this song called happy hour, which is kind of like a chili peppers, uh, progressive it, it was a weird song hmm. and maybe it was our fault for putting it in there because we hmm. just we had we like to have different songs you know what i mean we we it's not like acdc where every song sounds similar right we like to have the variety and so they picked that song and then that song tanked hmm. and when that song tanked we're to blame you sure know what I mean? right so that's kind of I mean, that's, that's what was your favorite song? What song do you think you should have had the, the, uh, as released as a single from that album? Uh, there was a song called Miss America that was sort of a radio friendly song. I mean, I don't know if it would have done any better. I, I, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. You just don't know. The thing about records and record deals and, and the music business is that it's all a crapshoot. I, for, I told the story before. Uh, Columbia Records was a very conservative label and, and they didn't know what to do with us. They, 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 we were different. We were these guys, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And what do you, you know, when you have Barbara Streisand and you have Bruce Springsteen and then you have these guys, I mean, what do you do? How do you market? And they didn't really know what to do. And I was friends with the Alice in Chains guys. They were on our label. Right. And, they, and Lane told me we were at a party and he told me that it, this is when man in the box was huge. This is when they were just breaking. Huge. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, dude, they didn't do anything. They man in the box had 80 radio stations and it wouldn't go away. And it was that fucking song. And they're taking credit for it. Like they are the geniuses, but it was the song. And it was, obviously it was, Grunge was sort of coming in and the cock rock was sort of coming out and it was, they were at the right time and it was, and, and it's a great record. Mm. And it's a great song. And uh, yeah, he was telling me stories of Rolling Stone went into his closet and tried to pick his clothes for him. And he's just going, fuck. He just, he wasn't prepared to be a product. You know what I mean? He wasn't prepared for that. Maybe that's one of the reasons he kind of did what he did. Yeah. So did you stay friends with him after the, cause the Alice in Chains got took off and they were just so big. Was it, do you kind of lose touch with people like that when you, when you have that friendship? Um, well, we just, I was in LA and they were up there, mm. you know, they were up there and they had their, I mean, it's just weird when that whole grunge thing happened, you know, we, our brand of Sunset Strip rock was was dead. I mean, it 
it was dead on arrival. And, um, and we were still making records and we mm-hmm. were still playing, but right. Re- record companies were just not interested. Mm-hmm. Sorry, dude. You know, you got this weird name, Jizzy and, and you're, you know what I mean? And, and now we're all about, you know, Seattle and singing songs about being depressed and, and, uh, and that's just what happens. You can, it's almost like how disco became uncool just immediately. Right. Our brand of rock. I mean, like the warrants and, and uh, the firehouses and stuff like that we just all immediately became uncool overnight. So how did you, so what kept, cause you guys did, I think uh, six or seven albums, you kept going well into the nineties. What kept you going then? If, if that music wasn't cool, there must've been somebody that liked it or did you just do it for your own artistic integrity or. We did it because we thought that we could weather the storm. You know what I mean? We thought that we're really good. And we'll survive this. And uh, and what happened is, is is guys got married and guys didn't want to, you know, commit like they used to commit. I mean, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it was just, you know, that's just the way it was. And, and uh, we did a couple more records and we did some tours and we were still sort of big in Europe. So we could still go over there and um and do okay but you know the writing was on the wall and these guys wanted to uh you know have regular lives and and they couldn't pay mortgages with with music anymore and so they all moved on and then then it was just me all by all by myself and you kept going and then somehow tell me the story how did you get the job for la guns did did tracy call you or did you have to audition or how did that work out because that's that's a big break um, I just got a phone call. Uh, a booking agent called me and said that uh, that they were looking to replace Phil and this that guy Joe Leste, the Bang Tango guy. Mm-hmm. He was originally going to be the singer. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, and but they said, why don't you come down and just we'll see what happens. And so I went down there. <clears throat> this was after a disastrous love hate tour that I did opening for Dio. Uh, one of the last times I opened for Dio with love hate and uh, it was just a horrible crash and burn thing. And so I, I, it was just, I, I, it was really nice to be able to put love hate aside and all that acrimony. And, um, and so I went down there and just, we ended up jamming Led Zeppelin songs. Turns out, you know, we're all Led Zeppelin fans. So I didn't even really do LA gun songs. We just Hmm. sort of did Led Zeppelin songs. And then, uh, after a week or so, I just got the gig. They had a tour and it was, it was crucial that they, they know they have a guy. And so that's how I got it. That's amazing. That's got to feel pretty amazing to, cause you're playing 10,000 seat arenas or whatever you got to feel like I'm back. I made it like in some ways bigger than ever. I, I don't know if did love or hate ever play shows that big and ter- besides opening for ACDC and Dio. Well, we, we did. I mean, yeah. we played well on that. Uh, when I was in LA guns, we were still openers. Oh, okay. We were still first out of three or something like that. But yeah, I mean, 
I was on a bus and I was, you know, playing big stages and I didn't, and, and it was all good. It was all good. I mean, I was working. That's again. cool. So yeah, it worked out. And then you guys did that album shrinking violet. Do you, I, I don't think I've seen you do any songs. I don't see that like in your solo set list. I haven't seen you. Do you ever play songs from that album in your solo days or anything or? Not really. Not really. I mean, we did it when we, when, when I was in the band, we played songs off it. Sure. Obviously. Yeah. But, uh, I have so many solo records that, you know, I would rather play songs that I like more. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you don't ever get requests for that or, cause that's, that's kind of, that, that I, album has... a, I sign a bunch of the records. Oh, okay. Like when I was in Mexico, um, I was in quiet riot and, um, Tracy guns and, and was opening up for us. And, we went outside the hotel and him and I signed 20 or 30 shrinking violet records. It was just really odd when you're in another country. And I was just kind of marveling at that. That's really cool. See, it's got like a little bit of a cult following, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And, good song, but yeah, I think it's interesting too, that Steve Riley called you for LA guns when he started doing his version and he offered you to a uh, job to come sing for him. He did. Well, yeah, but again, I had already been in a situation where there were two LA Gunses and um right. it was just, you know, I didn't want to to deal with that again. This sort of this he said she said or he said he said thing. You know what I mean? And I just didn't want to do it. I mean, I really like the songs. I'm a big fan of their catalog. Oh yeah. But um I just I didn't want to do that again for sure yeah but then you join rat and that's really cool i had karabi on and he and i've had talked to steven piercy too i've had him on the show but karabi said like there was like so much dysfunction in that band that him and robbie crane there'd be an argument him and robbie crane would leave and go get a sandwich and come back and they'd still be fighting did you see any of that when you were there or was it was it not as much because piercy wasn't obviously in the band when you were there yeah there was fighting there was fighting a lot of arguments are over stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like when I, in 2007, I got the love hate guys back together and, um, we did a small UK tour and, um, the arguments started again between the bass player and drummer. And I noticed I was in the van and I noticed that they were all old arguments. Hmm. You know what I mean? They were all, stuff that those guys were saying to each other 25 years ago, just the same dumb stuff. And that's kind of how the rat thing was, is those guys had been together so long and didn't get along. And it was just kind of, you know, bickering of a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, for me, it was a great gig and it was fun and, you know, so I just kind of stayed out of it. That's smart. Yeah. I've never been in a band, so I, that's just pretty commonplace. So is there a lot of bands that are like that where there's a lot of dysfunction and arguments and just bickering? And... Of course. Of course. What is it's it about? Like, like, is it about like, I think my drum should be louder or, or the, is it those kinds of things about the music or is it about totally things that are totally different? It's that and a hundred other stupid <laughs> Things. I mean, the set list, arguing oh, okay. over what song should be here and what song should be here, and and 
why where's my coconut water who stole my iced tea <laughs> i mean you know what i mean it's just, okay it, when you're when you're on a bus on a tour bus it's a very confined space yeah and sometimes the way people brush their teeth can piss you off you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just especially when you're i mean when i was in rat we went out for months at a time we toured for months and I wouldn't come home for three months from being on a bus. I mean, Damn. where I didn't even recognize my house anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just, and, but there were also a lot of really awesome times and, and, and Warren Demartini obviously is a amazing guitar player. So I, I mean, yeah. I got to stand on stage with that dude every night and just look over and go, wow. You know what I mean? I'm on stage with this, this legendary dude. Mm-hmm. For sure. So it sounds like it's kind of like having three or four wives that you're having to deal with <laughs> in some ways. I, I suppose. I yeah. suppose. I mean, I, it's not all, it's, it's a lot of good, but yeah, there's, there's that bickering and the, 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 the nonsense too. Sure. So tell me about, you joined Quiet Riot in 2013 and then you quit to do solo work, then you rejoin. Now you're back in it. So tell me what, about Quiet Riot. You're Alex uh, Grossi. I've had him on the show. He's great. And uh, tell me what it's like working with Quiet Riot. Well, <clears throat> um, it's it's weird not having Frankie Benelli around. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, for the last year of his life, we were doing gigs he had gotten enough strength to where he was doing gigs and and that was really awesome but then at a certain point he couldn't do that so i mean you know it's it's the brand and it's the band carrying on and the music in the catalog are what people want to hear so you know we just we just try and do our best. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't, like I, I said this in interviews before, it's just, you know, I'm not, I'm not the original guy. It was never my original band. You know what I mean? So I'm just trying to do the best I can with those songs that were written and have such, you know, good name recognition with fans. For sure. Yeah. And uh, you guys have a new record coming out though with Frankie playing the drums on it, correct? Yeah, there's some stuff being done. Some stuff we're working on. That's exciting. And then also tell me about your uh, your solo career now. Because you have, a, I heard the new single, uh, oh gosh, what, Soul Mama. I just, I've listened to it a few times, really catchy tune. <laughs> and the new record's called Hell California. It's going to be out sometime in the next few months. Probably f- January or February of next year. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a Golden Robot record. Australian label and uh yeah you know it's a uh, it's a good record I mean I I'm proud of it so uh yeah there's another single coming out I think in a couple of weeks okay so uh yeah so it's good so what I is Golden it, Robot um they've got some great artists that uh, that I'm a fan of anyways what what do they uh, provide in terms of support I mean obviously it's not as big as Columbia Sony back in the day but they still do some marketing for you and help out they, they provided the money to make the record. Okay. Well, that's something, and, right? Uh, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, they're going to do their thing. I mean, you know, the whole, 
the Spotify, the, the ads, the blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just record labels aren't what they used to be. Just like musicians don't tour the way they used to. You know what I mean? They just now bands like us do fly out dates. We leave on a Thursday and come home on a Sunday, you know, and that's that's how you do it, you know, and uh, and you show up and the gear's already there. You don't bring your own drums and amps and stuff. You just, you know what I mean? That's all provided for you. Hmm. And you uh, plug in and sound check and, and play. Is that kind of your main gig right now is, is doing Quiet Riot gigs or do you have other stuff going on too? Well, obviously the books, but... Well, my other gig is this. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the books. Yeah, let's talk more about it. So that, like I said, the one I, I got you sent me was Unhappy Endings. Uh, I mean, there's like so much random, like weird shit in this book. Like you talk about pharmaceutical companies over medicating people, chemtrails. Uh, you you talk, talk about how you used to write reviews for porn magazines. I mean, there's so much. What's your favorite part? I don't know. I mean, I just the whole thing is just like you're, you're, not, you're definitely not bored reading this book. Well, like the whole porn thing was just a, a fluke. I got a call when I. Uh, when I wasn't in LA guns anymore and uh, I was looking for a gig and the guy, a guy called me out of the blue and knew that I was a writer and said, would you like to be the editor of a anal magazine? And I mean, just how weird is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know what I mean? And uh, even as go, a yeah. guy who played in a band, you're, you got kind of, eventually you got grossed out by this, right? I got into rat and I was touring and they were saying to me, well, you can bring this stuff on the road with a laptop and you can still do this and sing. But it just, it had reached the point where, I mean, literally I'd be doing, I'd have this horrible pictorials on my laptop and and guys would walk up to me and go, what the fuck is this? And you're like, I'm working. Yeah. It was a little embarrassing. And so I just thought, you know, maybe I'll just, do the music thing again and, and, and put away the porn. Yeah. Cause when you're in rat, that's probably paying the bills enough where you don't need to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. there's other stories. There's other stories in there too, where, where I was a driver for strippers at night. You know, one of those guys that, that waited until the bars let out. And then these guys would call the escort service, like in a free press magazine and you had to show up at their apartment or their hotel room and and the woman would finagle money out of the guy and then you know you just run for your life when you've got his money yeah that sounds like there was some crazy stuff like i think was i think this might have been one of your other books but i heard you talking about it where uh you guys were at the rainbow famous bar in the sunset strip and there was like a mafia guy trying to sell your ex-wife into white. He wanted to sell her into white slavery or something like that. Well, it's sort of uh, facetious. Um, he had girls with him and the girls that he had with him looked like girls that were hostage. You know what I mean? He probably, <laughs> he probably had their passports. I mean, this is what, pimps do you know they take women's passports so they and and if they if they're from another country they can't speak english too well 
and they, they sort of force them into uh, prostitution or whatever. But I mean, he just, his manner when he approached me was, you must be a pimp too, because you've got two ladies. You know what I mean? And, ah, and I just, and so I just, weird. And so I just kind of, you know, backed off because there are mafioso types that hang out at the rainbow. You know what I mean? And so I just backed off and I said, it's time to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's the best thing to do in those situations, huh? I like your, uh, your TV show ideas too. That that was another part of the unhappy endings, cannibal Island and Amber alert. Like, (laughs) I, I mean, people, if you have a sick sense of humor, I do. So I understand where it's a joke, but, uh, do you, are you ever worried about people canceling these books for being too dirty or too? I suppose. I mean, I should be so lucky that I should be so damn popular that, <laughs> that you could that be cancelable. that there's a cancel campaign directed against me. You know what I mean? I just, I think that a lot of people that know me know that I am sort of eccentric and not your usual cookie cutter singer songwriter. So I think some, some of the stuff is probably a little shocking, but it's just, it's just fun and games. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just the way I write You know what I mean? Stuff I think is funny stuff. I think is shocking. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I have to stand behind it, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's great stuff. So, and there's a fourth book coming out. There's a new uh, solo record and then you got gigs with quiet riot. So you're going to be pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. That's all. It sounds good. great. We're, uh, we're doing good here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I do like to end each episode with a charity. Is there one that you want to give a shout out to or anything, any cause that you want well, to tell what? people? One of the best charities that there is. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, savvy on all charities, but sure. the self, the Salvation Army gives 93% of all the money that, you know, they're, they're the guys out front mm-hmm. the yeah. bell with the little red bucket. They give 93% of all the money to charity. Whereas a thing like uh, Susan B. Komen, the breast cancer thing, I think they give less than 20%. Oh, it's even less. That's and, sad. And, yeah, and I heard Bono's Bono's uh, charity gave only three percent. Oh my god! So, How is that even legal? I don't know. I don't okay. know. So I mean, I just know that a lot of these charities don't really aren't very charitable. <laughs> yeah. So, but I know the Salvation Army is, and so around holiday time, I always give them a bunch of money you okay. know what I mean? because, because I know that it's going to go for homeless or yeah. you know what I mean. we're supposed to go. Exactly. Well, okay. I'll put that in the notes along with your website. People can order your books and keep an eye out for your music and obviously for quiet riot shows. Hopefully you guys aren't coming to Phoenix though, are you? Sometime I suppose. Okay. I didn't see it in the tour dates yet, but uh, if you come down here, I'll come check you out. I'd love to see you guys see Alex too. It'd be fun. Okay. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Okay, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 
All right, Jizzy Pearl, he's the man. His website, jizzypearl.net, it's in the show notes and it's got everything you need there. You can order the books, you can find all his social media links and more. So my website is in the show notes as well and it's got all my social media and I don't even have anything to sell you at the moment. Everything there is for free. Um, and, uh, as always, I uh, appreciate your support on social media and YouTube with likes, comments, and shares. Uh, that really helps me out. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening. And remember, shoot for the moon. <laughs>